This presentation is from UX Australia 2020, day three. Our next speakers uh, joining us from Ernst & Young, we have Chris and Julie ready to join. They'll be uh, talking us through a case study on designing for emergency services. Hello, Julie. Hello, Chris. Hello. All right. Uh, welcome. Thanks, everybody, so much for having us uh, here today. Awesome to be part of the conference and uh, among such fantastic speakers. Uh, certainly tough to be the ones following Nancy, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, first off, some introductions. So I'm Chris. I'm a director in the experience design space uh, at EY, joined by Julie, one of our developer managers. Uh, we're both part of the consulting team here at EY. Uh, today, we want to share with you some work that we've been doing with a state government agency in Victoria. Uh, I'll kick off with a little bit about uh, the project and our challenge, designing one app that works for 55,000 uh, career and volunteer emergency services personnel across three different agencies. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the journey, our approach, some of the challenges along the way. Uh, most of all, we'll focus on the lessons we've learned. Uh, and our hope is that uh, next time you find yourselves in a similar situation, you'll think about maybe using some similar tools, activities and techniques to help you solve your own challenge. So let me tell you first a little bit about the background. So this is the scenario today. Today, career and volunteer emergency personnel in Victoria are alerted of emergencies via one-way pager messages. So this is a system that's mainly in use by uh, the Country Fire Authority, CFA, uh, the Victoria State Emergency Service, Vic SES, and the rural part of, of Ambulance Victoria since about 2006. Absolutely mission critical infrastructure, totally separate from uh, you know, commercial mobile phone networks and commercial internet networks. Uh, however, as you might appreciate due to the limitations of pager technology, uh, a couple of years ago, there was a need identified to move towards a supplementary system that's a little bit, that can kind of complement uh, this mission critical system, be a little bit more user friendly, a little bit more intuitive to help the agencies responding to emergencies, including two-way communication and some other features. So the resulting supplementary opt-in system that we're gonna talk a bit more about now, it's a multi-agency solution, initially for use by these three agencies, easily expandable for the inclusion of other agencies in the future and due to be launched next month. Uh, we know it's something that needs to support a, a very mixed user base spanning volunteers, community officers, career staff and management, as well as those who have kind of dual responsibilities or happen to be members of more than one agency. So this is our project, the, the Supplementary Alerting System or, or SAS, you'll hear us talk about as we go through. So that's a little bit of the background. Um, now I'll dive a little bit more into the challenge. So challenge number one, we jumped into this and uh, as you saw from the previous slides, the agencies have been talking about this for years. Uh, as, as many of the previous speakers have talked about, you approach any kind of problem like this, there's lots of research up front. Uh, we had a big survey that we jumped into uh, that was given to us. And we got a bit of a, a flavor from the survey that everybody had a vision of what the app was gonna be like. Um, huge amount of people focusing on kind of the number of messages there, uh, the management requirements, but we came to this, everybody had a view on what it should be like. And then as you dive further into it, number two, for almost every recommendation we had about a path forward, someone else had a different idea about how we should be moving forward. So straight away, 
we not only had everyone with a concept of how things should work, but then we also had conflicting views about how we should move forward. So we've got a varied audience here today um, from those that might be new to uh, human-centered design and design thinking approach uh, to those that are, you know, academics, pros in the fields, uh, doing it since before we kind of gave these things, these labels. Uh, I was tempted after Keith's talk yesterday to, to just throw in a Nielsen Norman definition of design thinking, but uh, sure that, thought that might have uh, got us a few boos in the audience. So uh, rather than kind of talking to us about um, design thinking, human-centered design, we know there's a couple of different problems we could take this, but surprise, reflecting on this uh, you know, after we've done the bulk of the project, the best way to try and explain the process we went through was our kind of traditional double diamond model. Uh, it was very clear as we went through, we started with a particular challenge. We need to kind of dive into that, work out you know, who we're solving for, who we're designing for, uh, uh, do some research into that, talk to people, uh, run a survey, uh, try and drive what those insights are out of that research. Um, and then once we kind of had an idea about how we wanted to drive forward from here, time for us to go broad again and start to work out all the different ways we might be able to solve the problem. Uh, start to then think about how we might prototype some of those and use our kind of tr traditional kit bag or toolkit, depending on uh, how you like to refer to it, uh, to, to kind of narrow in on the, the right way or maybe the right way to solve the problem first, uh, realizing that um, uh, for us and for, for our client, Emergency Management Victoria, this is going to be a, a long journey for us. We wanted to put something out there first and then something that we know we're going to kind of iterate on for, for years to come. That's a bit of the intro. Uh, let me hand over to Julie now to take us a little bit into kind of some of the concepts and then into uh, our first lesson. Thanks, Chris. Um, so now I'm just gonna take you through two scenarios, um, how the current system works and then how we're going to help support it. So you can see um, here is a CFA example. We're just gonna talk about one brigade, uh, three volunteers in it. So I'm going to have to introduce you to some concepts, basically. Uh, every brigade is a part of a paging group. And that paging group is basically uh, sent an alert from a pager. Uh, that alert is basically created when you, you know, call triple zero and an incident occurs and that's known as an event. So now that we've got that all sorted, you'll hear us refer back to those terms. So in this scenario, we have our three volunteers. Jane. So Jane here uh, gets an alert. She heads straight to the station. She needs to wait for either Pete or Jim to pick up the truck. Uh, someone has to come grab the fire truck before they can go put out the fire. So now we have Jim. He actually looks at the alert and goes, oh, that event is actually pretty close to me. I'm going to head there instead. So he goes straight there. Meanwhile, Jane's waiting. Where are these people? <laughs> We've got Pete who's the other driver, he's um, having a shower. He hasn't even seen the alert. So nobody actually knows what's going on here. Pete, Jim, who are the drivers, uh, aren't there. So you can see in this highly stressful situation, it's not really a good place to be in. Like everyone's gonna get there, everyone's gonna get out, but we have a couple of really stressed people. So bringing in this new service, same scenario, but now we have an app to support it. We have Jim, who sees that he's close to the event. He still heads straight there. But now he can actually let his team know he's going there. So everyone knows, all right, Jim's not coming to pick up the truck. Which means Jane can then go, all right, who's my other driver? Uh, Pete, 
I'm just going to give him a call because I know I need him. So while Jane goes to the station, gives Peter a call, he picks it up and goes, oh, you need me. All right, I'm heading straight there. And he can actually turn on his tracker. So there's an actual ETA. So now not only do you know Pete's on his way, you know when he's going to get there as well. So the supplementary alerting system, we're not trying to replace the pager system. We're actually here to support it, to make it a much smoother process so everyone kind of knows what's going on. Okay, going to the requirements. So this is a multi-year project. We have 74 different requirements, high-level requirements. So one requirement is make a rostering system. Another requirement is make a dashboard. So you can see why design thinking is needed. There's no one piece of information that's going to let us know what we need to build. So step one of the design thinking double diamond is basically to rip up the brief. Um, discovery shouldn't be limited to what is set out in that initial brief. Uh, it sets boundaries at the start, which basically limits what you can learn. Um, but um, I know from experience, because I've done this before, even though we're diverging, we're making all these you know, discoveries, we will come back to the requirement afterwards. We'll take those insights and we'll apply it there. What I forgot though, is that the client doesn't automatically know this. So um, if you don't explain this upfront at the start, you're gonna cause a little bit of a panic. A really good way to explain this is this uh, quote from Christina. Design thinking is the practice of exploring research ideas widely and then narrowing insights down to likely solution candidates. So it's really important upfront before you start this project in this phase in this process that everyone knows this, that once the diverging, the exploring of limited possibilities finishes, you will be converging back, uh, taking those insights and applying it to the requirements. And this process is how we find what we don't know. It basically gives us the best solution uh, offering that we can give. So now that you know about the project, um, what SAS is trying to do, let's actually jump into the workshops. Kicking off the discovery phase, we'll, you will see we'll come back to this every now and again so you can see where we're at at the double diamond process. So this is our first workshop. You can see Mark, our lead designer, running it. <laughs> We had six people from each agency join us at this session. Uh, they came in and they all sat down at their own table. So CFA with CFA, AV with AV, uh, etc. Uh, what we did was we told them to get up, mix it up, so that there was an agency represented at every table. So first task we gave them is basically to work out who this app is for. Um, as you can see, you can do this a number of ways. There's a classic uh, divide the dollar where you actually put down uh, money <laughs> and on the audience member that you think will use your app the most. And then if you have a whole lot of people voting, you may not want to count up these physical notes, but actually do it online where it will count it up and rank it for you. And then there's the other option where if you have multiple sites under the one parent umbrella, or in our case, multiple agencies using the same app, you might want to see where the crossover is. And now I'm going to explain why none of that's going to work for us on its own. So 
So step one, write down everybody that's involved. And right away you can see there are far more people than we expected. There's way more than just respondents that's going to use this app. And there's multiple, multiple levels of management. Uh, if we actually voted now on, on what is in front of us, there's going to be way more people than we can actually target. So luckily, we've actually mixed up everyone on the table because the step after that is to start to group them together. Uh, so even this, we realise it's not so easy. It's not like for like. You can't just line them up and go, this person, this role, this agency, that applies here, tick, cross, tick, cross. It just didn't match up. You can see basically one role um, spanned across two different sections. So you can have an area manager and a senior team manager. Wow, this person in SES actually did those two roles. So it wasn't an exact art. Um, and then we discovered this lovely new person that's the dual role person who could be a part of two agencies and have multiple roles. Uh, that was our main insight. Basically, this is far more complex than we originally thought. So we had to take it one step further. So and this is our final step, basically, bringing it all together. We already knew that our number one focus would probably be the responders. What we discovered is that there's a secondary category to those responders, the dual role responders, where they're part of multiple agencies and also they have more than one role. And then when we actually dove down into all the different management roles, you could see that they roughly fell into two categories. So one that is like system admin, rostering, and then those who actually looked after a team, region, or area. So now that we've made all this discovery and all these insights, it's time to actually bring that back to the technical requirements. So as I explained earlier, uh, members are formed into what is known as a paging group. And those paging groups are added into the system by the agency's uh, active directory. And one of the technical requirements is actually to allow the users to log in with their Active Directory. And we had followed that to a T. This person, Jim here, who is a member of SES and CFA, would have to log in and out of his account to see the alerts from that agency. So basically, that's not a great experience. So we knew we had to work out a way to join up the agency so a user could log in using the Active Directory but then that would also link in to the other account that they log into under a SAS account login. And then uh, because he does have multiple roles, we introduced uh, roles into the system itself, which allowed him to increase and decrease permission levels for when he needed to do the duty manager role or if he needed to give that to someone else. Now I hand you back to Chris. Awesome. So Julie's just taken us through uh, some of the detail into kind of our first two lessons. And number one being, uh, you know, we, we know the design thinking approach. We want to start off by ripping up the brief, but we've got to make sure when we do it that we, we do it right. We kind of bring everybody along the journey as we do it. And then really the lesson number two there as we start to talk about some of our early discovery workshops is uh, just really about not being set in your ways. And... Um, and this is where I like talking about kind of your, your design thinking kit bag and, and being flexible with your approach and being able to kind of pick and choose and adapt on the fly, introduce new activities to be able to still get to the right outcome that you need. So I'm going to continue on now and kind of talk you through a little bit of um, 
uh, kind of moving forward into our insights and next stage. So next stage in our workshop, uh, introduce some of our, our usual kind of tools in the kit bag, uh, introduce some personas, start, uh, start to try and nail down uh, some, some archetypes of who we're designing for, turn this into some user stories. And then we kind of keep moving as we go from there into uh, some of the uh, some of the user stories here. So I'll take you into a couple of these. We start to see some differences as we dive into each of the agencies. So if I take um, uh, the Rural Ambulance Victoria staff, the, the tier one responder, uh, Gemma wants to see the exact or verified location on the map so that she can respond to the exact location. Whereas you know, for Tim in CFA, uh, for him, it was more about letting everybody know he's en route back to the scenario that uh, Julie took us through earlier. Uh, but then Lisa from SES wants to see exactly where the event is located and get directions to it. So start to integrate perhaps with other things on, on her phone so she can respond effectively. So we then start to kind of draw out some different scenarios between each of our, our, um, our agency user groups here. Uh, and we start to see as we go through each one that there are some similarities, but still some kind of major differences as we go through each one. So Gemma gets the alert, heads the exact location on the map, uh, then our next one there, Tim from CFA. Tim sees he's the only driver free. So he goes to the station because he doesn't want to leave his colleagues waiting uh, without someone who has the right qualification to drive the fire truck. This being just one, one uh, analogy we heard in one particular brigade about what happens there. Uh, and then, uh, as we said with Lisa, she sees that she's going to go straight there. So similar ways of responding to the emergency, but, but some slight variations as we went through uh, and worth us noting as well that um, you know we're, we're generalizing these examples here to share them with you but we found that there wasn't kind of one way even within a particular agency that this was done across the state different brigades and units uh, would do these things in different ways as they would respond to the events so then we start to drive into uh, I guess a, a problem that uh, lots of lots of people uh, here would probably have in their own, own lives as well, and some of the work that they might do with their own clients. We, we start to talk about designing within constraints. And I think you know, for Julie and I and for the teams we work with, we do a lot of work about designing within you know, normal, normal kind of client, uh, client agency or client consultant constraints around time and budget and schedule and all those sort of fun things. But then we also start to look at things like designing within particular technologies as a constraint. Um, so for here, we knew we had to have one workflow, one app, but it had to work for three agencies and three agencies that, as you've seen, had very different ways of responding to these emergencies. So a couple of tools in the kit bag we started to roll out. Uh, we got everyone working through some different decision workflows. We started uh, working through um, uh, with each of those agencies kind of, if this happens, what's the next stage there? Uh, and then looking at what their response workflow was to each of these as well, and then mapping them out to uh, how that might overlay into, first off, a mobile app. And I get this type of screen and I move into the next one. Uh, so if taking uh, the examples we had earlier and then kind of seeing how we map those out in a workshop here, surprise, surprise, using post-it notes, then we get to a bit of a high-level model you'll see on the next slide here around uh, how we then model this in our in our app as we start to move forward so everyone receives a pager alert no problems there but this time they're going to receive it you know on an app on their phone they'll acknowledge the message um, 
for two of our agencies. They wanted to kind of share their location as we went, so no problems there. But the third agency, sharing location wasn't wasn't an issue. Uh, for one of our agencies, there's a difference between traveling to a station versus traveling to an event. So we need to kind of be clear on that and respect things like privacy of individuals, uh, not using too much data on phones, uh, having individuals be able to kind of turn on or off sharing their, their location for a period of time and being very kind of clever about, you know, not using up too much battery or all those sort of things on a device along the way. So we start to then ask ourselves, how do we cater for all these different scenarios? And really for us, the answer was about, you know, some sort of overlay of business rules and a, and a kind of complex matrix of permissions and functionality. I guess I use the analogy of a, of a Swiss army knife. You kind of unfold different parts of the Swiss army knife for different agencies or user groups in this case that, that need to use the application. And I guess as we start to build on this from here, we, we kind of add extra bits to the Swiss army knife to, to make this infinitely kind of flexible and configurable for all the, the different types of groups that we know need to use this as we go forward. So our third lesson here is really about kind of how we build in uh, this ultimate kind of flexibility and configurability as we go from there. So from there, uh, time for us to kind of jump on with um, uh, ideation as we move forward. So yeah, as you can see, we've come a, there was a lot to learn, uh, far more complex than we thought it was originally going to be. Uh, so now to take all that and develop some ideas. So you can see there's multiple ways to test an idea. You can do paper prototyping, you can do wireframes, you can do full design click-throughs. Uh, we did all three of those. <laughs> so starting off with the paper prototyping, and I'm, I'm sure you've all seen this before, you're familiar with it, which is just making screens with paper. You draw it up, you cut it up, you rearrange it. Uh, in this workshop, we actually allowed all the agencies to sit together on their, as their own agency. So then you had AV on a table, SES on a table, uh, et cetera. And then we told them uh, to create a, a number of screens. So homepage, user settings, um, alerts, maps. Uh, and then as they completed each of the screen, we got them to play it back to the agencies to, and then it became basically very clear that every single agency went a completely different direction. <laughs> the, the verging that we experienced was far greater than we thought it was going to be. When we told them that you needed a home screen, what does that look like to you? Every agency had a completely different idea. So how do we bring that all back? We had to sort through all the results. And this really highlighted the first challenge of conflicting opinions. Um, we, had, we chopped up all the screens and then we actually uh, grouped them all into similar functionality. And what this gave us was actually a backlog of sought after features. So and this helped basically create a digital roadmap for the future. We knew that there would be, uh, this would be a multi-year project. So it was actually really great to have this list of features that we knew that they would want later on. But that doesn't actually help us now with the project. So then again, we sorted through it again. We went through each of the screen and we actually worked out what was in scope, so stuff that we'd already agreed to build, what was out of scope, things that were nice to have but we didn't really need to do right now. 
But then that really final last piece, the missing piece, the whole reason why we're doing this workshop, uh, something that we didn't know we needed, but was really important for the project. It's basically the goal of any of the workshop. You uh, generate ideas, you come up with everything, nothing is bad, but then you've got to come back to what's viable and then work out from all that, what is it that you really need for the success of this project? And this really helped us understand what was really important to each of the agencies. Um, Chris will go through some of the prototyping we did with all that discovery. <laughs> yeah, so I think Julie's just highlighted some of the some of the things we know as designers we all we all love to do. Try and find those those little things if we can to kind of surprise and delight our users and, and deliver something for them that um, kind of uh, really brings them the value. Uh, on to probably the, the last major learning here for us, which is really about checking back in with our users. So first off, you know, like many projects, lots of kind of low fidelity prototyping, get people understanding kind of how things hang together, how you get from one screen to the next. Um, we learned very quickly that um, uh, designing for such a broad audience, uh, everyone had a very different idea of, you know, what even a push notification might mean. Um, downloading an app from the app store might mean. So it was really important for us to layer in all those kind of peripheral things that might have been outside of um, the, the direct uh, thing we were building, but show them how a push notification would work on a particular phone versus another model phone, or how downloading it from an app store on kind of one ecosystem would vary from the other, and how that then overlays into the kind of key features that, that our user base are worried about. Um, that uh, that emergency alerting and, and indicating they're on the way to the event and and seeing who else is there at the same time so we started off lo-fi uh and then kind of progressed through there and moved on to um, some high fidelity ones as we went through um clear for us to then introduce things like colors uh for for all the kind of visual and graphic designers out there you'll appreciate the challenge of uh trying to work with uh uh the right level of contrast. I'm, I'm thinking back to our mobile accessibility talk yesterday and making sure everything works for, for users on mobile. And we had lots of requests around, well, I would like it this color and I'd like it to work this particular way. Okay, that's great. That'll work well for your scenario, but we've got to think about designing for a, for a very broad audience here. But then we worked out that it wasn't enough for us to go, look, this is kind of generically how it's going to work for people uh, for our high fidelity prototyping as we go through. Uh, and then we, we worked out that we kind of had to break it down into a different flow for, for each of the agencies to make it super clear for if I'm a CFA uh, volunteer and I'm using the app, what is the experience that I see? And then if I'm an SES volunteer, what do I see? It wasn't enough to kind of see something that uh, was, was maybe an 80% version as we went through. We, we worked out we really had to get into kind of a 100% view of what it looked like for that specific user group uh, in order to really resonate with our, with our user base there. And then kind of so many things along the way. Um, this is just two examples of testing, in, uh, testing this and jumping in with some different prototyping. Um, but as you know, there's, you know, we can prototype and test with, with small groups and then out to larger groups, but we really had to start to think about how it scaled. And as we went through, we worked out that um, uh, we had to go back and try and reach 
thousands of people with this and, and running one-on-one interviews and, and user tests with thousands of people just wasn't going to scale. So we ended up throwing in another kind of variation on, a, on an online survey uh, to, to really test these types of um, screen designs and features and how things worked through a survey with that, with that user base as we went through. So that kind of takes us up to where we are now. Um, we've, um, you know, we've spent almost uh, a year with these groups kind of prototyping the different things that uh, kind of people need along the way. Um, uh, prototyping, I guess, the kind of different things people need on the screen, uh, the different um, uh, what people need to see on the map, uh, and then on to, uh, take you to the next one, please, Julie. Um, how we start to make these things clearer. So this was one of the things that came out from our, our survey that we went out with. Just trying to clarify to users what type of alert it might be, who it's gone to, how long it's been since then. Um, those uh, kind of in the audience that have spent time designing uh, native mobile apps, you know, know about you know, Apple's guidelines and Google's guidelines about just trying to kind of clarify and simplify the number of things you present to a user at any one point in time. Uh, there's lots of focus on trying to put all the things in one screen, but, but distill it down and make it easy for people to understand at a glance, perhaps even as they're in the car and have it attached to the, to the, to the windscreen as they're driving to a particular event here. So we came a long way. Um, we've talked about pager messages. We've talked about uh, the agencies kicking this off a couple of years ago to, to us being engaged about a, about a year ago now and the project kicking off. Uh, to next month when we, we launch this as an opt-in app for the 55,000 uh, SES, CFA and uh, Ambulance Victoria Rural Volunteers around Victoria. Um, it's, it's kind of not the end of the journey. We know there's so many more things to, to, to do. Um, there's so many activities that we, we did along the way, so many things that we learned, um, not just from a design point of view, but from a technology build point of view, from a how do you work during COVID point of view, all those sort of different things along the way. But we wanted to just highlight, I guess, a couple of things um, to, to this audience about kind of the, the four or five things that we thought were the, the major things we learned along the way. So I'll jump to those now and kind of recap them for you here. We thought kind of number one, we, we kick off with design thinking and we know we want to go back to first principles every time, but you really have to make sure that uh, when you do it right, you bring everybody kind of along the way when we do it. Um, so many so many strange looks from people in the room when we talk about, well, we need to kind of talk more to your users and talk more to, to you about how you use it today and how you intend to use it in the future and understand some of the challenges. Uh, and so many of the, of the people that we worked with just went, well, but we've been doing that for years. We've got a set of high level requirements. What, why do you need to continue to do more research? So that education piece is super important. Um, Julie talked a little bit up the front about um, kind of not being set in your ways and being able to kind of adjust that a little bit as, uh, as we go. Um, so uh, we'll talk, uh, so we've talked a little bit about kind of not being afraid to just adjust on the fly and introduce uh, new things from your kit bag. We talked about kind of building up a backlog of work and um, uh, kind of trying to find those things to sort of surprise and delight your users and, and really reinforce that you're doing this kind of for your users and trying to make their lives easier along the way. Uh, you heard me talk about uh, kind of designing within constraints and being ultimately kind of flexible and configurable and my kind of 
Swiss Army Knife example about uh, how we kind of make one thing that works different ways to, for lots of different groups as we go. And uh, the last bit there about uh, we learned it was super important to check back in with our users, not just up front during discovery, but again and again and again throughout the build. Um, sometimes uh, we talk about this concept of sponsored users and having a kind of group of people that you make part of your journey and you check in with along the way again and again. Uh, we found it was important to, to bolster that group with new people who hadn't seen the app before and uh, kind of bring in those new viewpoints again as we went. So from there, um, we've got a couple of weeks to go. In a few weeks' time, this gets rolled out, as I said. Uh, we're already getting some really good feedback from uh, from those that are using it in a bit of a kind of closed beta stage at the moment. And we're really excited to see uh, what the response is as we roll it out from here. Thanks, Steve. I'll hand back to you. And I think uh, we've probably got some time for some questions. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Julie. That was uh, super interesting. Um, because you just mentioned uh, the rollout, I'll, I'll ask the question at the um, that just got added, which is, uh, have you been able to test it in, in real emergency scenarios yet? Yeah, perfect. Um, yes, is the is the short answer. Um, uh, we've um, been running this in in uh, kind of test stages now since uh, uh, it's probably for almost three months now with uh, some small groups from each agency. So we um, I mentioned at the end the kind of that, that uh, concept of sponsor users. We we really had about uh, initially. Uh, two or three people from each agency involved in helping us test this with with demo versions uh, on their mobile phones. And over the last um, uh, probably six or so weeks, we've expanded that to a group of about 20 from each agency. So there are about 60 people across the state uh, testing this out. And uh, we know from a couple of weeks now, this will get rolled out to some broader groups uh, before each of the agencies kind of has their own plan for a full rollout over the next couple of months. That uh, that full rollout will take place, I, I guess, in the lead up to the bushfire season this year. Yeah, spot on. Very topical. Okay. So yeah. that's that's exactly the idea. Um, we see lots in the press around, uh, uh, I guess, what happened in Victoria last year with bushfires and at the start of this year. Uh, so the idea is this will be a, a good tool to help uh, to help in that response again this year. Yeah, timed Great. well. Yeah, well, and we're already seeing in New South Wales, I think the start of the bushfire season was declared on uh, August 1 for parts of northern New South Wales up around Tenterfield. So um, it is coming and it is coming earlier each year, unfortunately. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, your experience in managing the, your stakeholders and clients through this process? Yeah, so... We, I guess we're lucky enough in, in that the way we are engaged, we're engaged by Emergency Management Victoria. Um, uh, I'm from Sydney, Julie's from Melbourne, but to kind of get everyone on the same page around kind of how this works in different jurisdictions, um, Victoria is a little bit different to, to some other jurisdictions in Australia in that they have this agency that sits on top of and over uh, some of the different uh, uh emergency services that interact. So we're engaged by Emergency Management Victoria. They sit over the top and, and they helped us. We had a very good relationship with, with them and then out to the agencies to, to start with this kind of cross-functional team of management, operational people, first responders, and, uh, and keep interacting with that group all the way through this experience for us. So that, that was awesome in that we had kind of one set of people who had been with us 
from the start, they knew all the ins and outs and all the all the ups and downs, all the all the new requests of things to add in, um, and all the kind of conflicting opinions we had along the way, and, and that was great. That that made it um, a lot easier to manage uh, you, all the different bits of feedback coming in. But then I think that the important thing for us, particularly uh, as we got towards the end of the project, was to make sure that we had kind of gone back and started to validate this with people who hadn't been involved and broaden that kind of stakeholder group out there. So I think that's that's probably my biggest takeaway for that around the stakeholders we engaged with. Um, it's it's probably not good enough for you to engage with the same people, particularly over such a long period of time as, as Julie talked about at the start but uh, bring new people in and validate their, their views along the way. Julie, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe some of the workshops, some of the different stakeholders in the workshops? Yeah, that was very fun, actually. Uh, it was excellent that everyone was so engaged. We had a whole range of different people who really wanted to share their opinion because um, obviously they were part of the survey. They, they knew that this was on their way and um, they knew this was like a great opportunity to get that thing they finally wanted. So we were lucky enough to have a highly engaged group that we could interview and to play back all the different various stages with. Um, so for me, I, I thought it was wonderful that people were willing to travel from out in rural um, areas to come into the city to, to test with us. So we were able to do so much with them to do you know, one on one user testing and click throughs, etc. So I think we we're really quite fortunate to, to have that level of engagement with our stakeholders and to have um, you know, that top-end management going, yes, we want change and yes, we want to hear what other people have to say. Um, it was very tricky to manage all the different opinions, but great that we had so much engagement. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, uh, Ingrid asked a question just on that point. You, know, you, you mentioned that you had many conflicting views on how to solve the problem. Mm. Um, how did you manage those conflicting viewpoints especially stakeholders that were stuck? There's two different um, areas here. There's like the, um, what we were, like the management side of, uh, we want this app to do everything, which we know we, we can't, so we've just got to manage that expectation. And then there's the other side where we want it to do two different things. Um, so then we have to try and align it as much as possible and go, where are the crossovers when you have different pathways? What can we give them that would, actually apply to everyone or the the largest amount of people so that's how we kind of manage to we try to give you as much as we can but we know there's a limitation and we just have to make that really clear about what we can offer how we can bring it all together and what we'll just have to wait until later on because this is not the purpose of the app because the app is here to help people with you know emergency events it's not to manage everybody and everything <laughs> Uh, Kevin asks, are you going global with this? You could see the help you can give to other <laughs> nations. Uh, sure, sure, we could go global with this. Um, look, that, that's really one for, for, for our client, Emergency Management Victoria. Um, the kind of way we work on this, you know, th this, is, this is their, their IP and their app at the end of the day um, and their decision on how to do it. Uh, we, we do know that... Um, you know, being a, a government department in, in Victoria, uh, they work pretty closely with other jurisdictions, at least in Australia, about rolling out some of the things that they've developed previously with other jurisdictions. So wouldn't surprise me if they do that, at least within Australia, and then who knows, world could be next. 
Uh, one more question from Becky. Uh, did you get much pushback from any of the different participants about the length of the design process or workshops? Um, and if so, how did you manage <clears throat> to convey how important it was to go through it? Uh, yeah. so the art discovery period was actually quite small for the amount of stuff we did. I think we did all that in just over a month. There was so, so much. It was, it was pretty um, intense. Uh, but we knew that obviously with those who haven't done workshop before, the length of the actual workshop itself would have to not be too long because it, it would tire them out. So we split it up where we could um, and then we try to do as much ourselves as we could. So we try to just use those workshops to gather the knowledge and then we will come back with the insights. Yeah, just build on that. Some of the, I mean, some of the workshops have showed you here in the space of a month and then, and then obviously you know, lots more of checking in with users along the way and different techniques. Um, you would have seen in one of the slides really popped up. Uh, we had, we had that one participant who, who, wanted to be involved so much, but he couldn't travel the eight hours to, to the Melbourne CBD where everyone else was coming for the workshop. So he spent the entire day on an iPad in front of us. And we carried him around the room on this little iPad to all the different tables as he participated in the different activities we went through. Um, and then, you know, I guess we've all been in workshops. We try and work remotely, particularly kind of how we're all working now and things start to break down. So uh, our volunteer worked out pretty quickly that, um, he had a couple of us on, on iMessage. So he could just start messaging us on iMessage with, you know, the sketches on his bit of paper and, and send that bit through to us and we could get some of those things into the room. So uh, lots, of, um, lots of ways for us to, I guess, adapt to people in different locations, um, people who, these, lots of these people were volunteers. They had day jobs. Yeah. Um, so can we do things out of hours or on the weekends to try and accommodate um, when their free time might be? So lots of, uh, I guess, just adapting to the scenarios as we go through, Steve. Great. Thank you both very much for that. It was a super interesting case study. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you.